we've got merch. That's right. The Benefit of a Doubt podcast has official merchandise, so now you can fly your fandom flag. We've got t-shirts, coffee mugs, and stickers all waiting to be shipped to your door, and you can buy them right now, today. These t-shirts will be on a limited run, so grab them while you can and join the hashtag friendwithbenefit movement. Just go to benefitofadow.com slash support and click on the Teespring logo. That's benefitofadow.com slash support and click on the Teespring logo. Once there, you can grab a t-shirt, a coffee mug, or a sticker and show your support for the show. So head on over to Teespring and pick up some merch today. Plus, there are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadow.com slash support. That's benefitofadow.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package. I hope you visit. I hope you don some merch. And as always, I thank you for listening. It's very nice to go traveling to Paris, London, or Rome, but it's so much nicer to come home. That's an old person's song. But what happens when home isn't really anywhere? Digital nomads walk the earth surfing from Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi. Tiny home fans live in the minimalist lifestyle, and somewhere in the middle, you'll find our guest today. Nick Gray, editor-in-chief of the oldest Android website, Fandroid, joins us to discuss living and working on the road with a family of four, no less. That's all coming up here on the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week I finally get to tackle a topic that I've wanted to cover since CES 2019. Back then, I ran into a new friend, Nick Gray, who was in the middle of a 15-month quest traveling all around the country as a digital nomad. But unlike the... Okay, I'll say it. Unlike the kids that I usually work with, Nick was doing this with a wife, two kids, and a dog. And that was interesting enough by itself, but then I learned about the community of digital nomads out there, and my interest got even deeper. So I sat down with Nick to talk about his travels, and we'll get to that. But first, let's dive into the news of the week. Starting things off, we'll talk about COVID-19 because, well, it's 2020. And we're actually going to look at a couple of positives coming from the COVID-19 crisis. The first comes to us from Scientific American, who reminds us, as coronavirus reminds us, that life is delicate and fragile, and the circumstances that allow us to exist at all are basically a one-in-a-billion shot, and they won't last forever. Someday our sun will blow up or burn out, or a meteor will barge into our living room, throw its feet up on the couch, and make itself comfortable. Wait, Adam, I thought you said this is going to be positive. Well, I'm getting to that. Because during this pandemic, we've learned that scientists actually know what they're talking about. And people are starting to turn to scientists like Dr. Fauci in terms of how to behave. We're learning that social distancing can lead to boredom, for sure. But also, great ideas and great thoughts filling our days. We've learned that when scientists from all over the world work together, we can accomplish great things, regardless of what country you live in. Mark Rober, a YouTuber I watch, who used to be a NASA scientist himself, once said that if you get a bunch of people together from all over the world, you'll end up with some squabbling over politics or sports. But if you get a group of scientists from all over the world together, 
they all pretty much agree on a lot of things. So let's make with the drinking. What was I saying? Oh, right. Positive impacts of COVID-19. And that leads us to our headline of the week and quite possibly of the year. A blessing in the skies. How the coronavirus is affecting the Earth's atmosphere. Oh, man, that headline is goddamn poetry. Well done, Drew Pringle over at Digital Trends. Well done indeed. Drew and writer Jenny McGrath go on to explain how the atmosphere is rebounding quite nicely now that humans are getting the hell out of the way of everything. Granted, this isn't really new. We've all read about the cleaning up of the water, the dolphins in the canals in Venice, the pod of whales in the Hudson River. No, wait, that was Adventure's Endgame. Well, anyway, it just really goes back to what George Carlin once said. And by the way, I thought about putting a clip in here, but it's actually like a seven-minute monologue, and there was no good way to cut in. I'll link it in the show notes. But basically, Carlin said that the Earth is a self-correcting mechanism, and eventually, it'll shake off humans like a bad case of fleas. And here we are, and the Earth is shaking off years of pollution in just a few short months. I'd also like to give an additional nod to Drew for his almost alliteration, pandemic-driven pollution pause. I love that, and it made the delightful headline even more delightful. And thank you, Drew, for being delightful. Speaking of being good for the environment, Samsung is designing the packaging it ships TVs in to be cut and folded and reused into things like magazine racks and cat houses and entertainment centers. This is one of those stories that hits you like, oh man, that's a great idea. And it's good for the environment too. Rather than throwing away or otherwise disposing of all that cardboard, you can actually reuse it. That is, of course, if you don't mind your cat house having a giant Samsung logo on the side of it, because you know, Samsung has to Samsung. Plus, just pray your cat is well-trained in litter box etiquette, because I can't imagine adding rotted cardboard to other cat <clears throat> discharges makes for an easy cleanup. No, I don't think this will sell more TVs, not directly anyway. But it's neat enough that Gizmodo wrote about it, and here I am talking about it, so the marketing machine is hard at work, if nothing else. And no, I won't purposefully go out and buy a Samsung TV myself, just so I can have a new magazine rack. What I am saying is that more companies should do this, because, you know, save a tree and all that. And in a race to be last, Facebook launched a new game streaming app to compete with YouTube, and Twitch, and Mixer, and probably a few other ones that I'm forgetting about. I'm not really sure why Facebook wants to get in on this space. Actually, that's not true. Gaming is a huge industry, and Facebook wants its cut for sure. But why it's going to all the trouble to develop its own thing kind of has me shrugging. I mean, I guess Facebook figures that of the 2.5 billion with a B users out there, a bunch of them must be gamers, so... Why send them to another app to game and stream? It just seems like it's an already crowded market. And in the case of Libra, it kind of goes to show that you can't stick a Facebook sticker on it and assume everything's going to work. Whatever, Facebook. I'm neither a Facebook user nor a gamer, though I do play a mean game of Call of Duty Mobile if I do say so myself. But I won't be Facebook's customer. If you're into that kind of thing, and for some reason you haven't already adopted one of the half dozen other platforms out there, here you go, I guess. 
If I'm being totally honest here, my number one irritant at this whole quarantine thing is not the inability to go to a movie or a restaurant. It's not having to put on a mask to go to the grocery store. It's not my kids and their increasing inability to speak with each other at less than 95 decibels. It's not the lack of friends or family to have conversations with. No, my biggest irritant this whole time has been conspiracy theorists, aka morons, who are intent to blame someone or something for this virus other than, you know, nature. And their latest target is Bill freaking Gates. Yes, Bill Gates, the philanthropist who is trying to bring drinkable water to the world's population. Bill Gates, the one who is trying to help third world countries develop new sewage treatment methods that are cheap to get rid of the shit building up outside their homes. And all this is because one time, a few years ago, Bill Gates predicted that one of the most dangerous things man currently faced was a virus. And it must have been Bill Gates who made the virus so he can implant us all with tracking devices. Okay, let's get a few things straight here. First, Bill Gates did not predict a virus. He read the frickin' room. He looked around at all the stupid stuff humans do, like packing together like sardines on airplanes, like sneezing and shaking hands with people, like gathering in groups of 80,000 or more standing shoulder to shoulder to watch a football game with frightening regularity. And don't even get me started on the disease factories that churches are, and that's all denominations, by the way. Anyway, Bill Gates saw all that and said, yeah, we're primed and ready to spread the disease as far and wide as possible. And by the way, on that topic, I'm not sure I'll ever shake anyone's hand again. Hashtag team fist bump from now on. Anyway, Bill Gates also doesn't want to implant trackers in people. Bill Gates doesn't need to implant trackers in you. You already carry one around with you everywhere you go, you idiots. Throw your smartphone into a trash compactor, and then you get to worry about people planting trackers on you. Look, folks, I could go on and on about this, but I won't because this is our news segment, and I frankly don't have that kind of time. Suffice it to say, Bill Gates is one of the best humans on the planet right now, and 5G doesn't cause coronavirus, and can we all just get back to yelling at our kids now? Thank you. These days, video conferencing is part of the norm, and some people have asked why video conferencing is so draining, and it really is. You get on a 30-minute video call, and it's like you've been awake for three days. I've been there. So the Convivial Society attempted to answer that question. And the main problems are multitasking and self-awareness. The first is obvious. Despite the storm center of distractions we all live through every day, nobody is very good at multitasking. Oh sure, some people are better than others, but most of us get distracted and completely lose our train of squirrel. What was I saying? All right, the other part of video conferencing is the video part. While video does help you feel more connected to the people with whom you're conferencing, video conferencing software also has a tendency to focus the picture on the speaker, which means as often as you talk, you're probably staring at yourself talking. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's terrible. I've been on the All About Android show a few times, and BT Dubs, I'll be coming on again next Tuesday, link in the show notes, and the video format of the show means I have to look at myself every time I talk, and hot damn, I am an ugly mess. I don't want to look at me, and that makes me terribly self-conscious. And that alone can be exhausting. So, there you go. Just turn off your video feed. 
According to Android police, you can finally, finally set the sensitivity of Google's hot word detection on various devices. This is a major problem because in my house, I have like five Google Homes, and it's always a fun little game to guess which one is going to respond to you when you ask it a question. Theoretically, now you can turn down the sensitivity on all Google Homes so only the one you're standing near will detect you. In theory. I honestly haven't tried this yet, so I don't know if it solves that problem or not yet. I suppose a responsible journalist would have already tested this and reported back, but you're stuck with me, unfortunately. During an earnings call this week, Netflix CEO Reed Hastings praised Disney Plus for gaining subscribership and original material right out of the gate. Hastings called it Disney sort of disrupting itself. Hastings also mentioned that Netflix will be focusing 100% on its own service rather than the competition because he can't do anything about his competition. That's a fair point, and as long as we're still being fair, there's no word on whether or not Hastings praised Netflix itself or not. Now, a lot of people predicted the death of Netflix once Disney Plus went public with pricing, and I can't completely argue, but it also goes to show that in the world of streaming, one service does not cover all bases. You'd have to imagine only the most disciplined people would be able to rotate in and out of services, like in January I'll have Netflix, in February I'll have Apple TV+, and in March I'll have Hulu. But Netflix is kind of a default streaming service these days, so when people have two services, it's going to be Netflix and someone else. Personally, I probably pay around $40 to $50 worth of streaming services every month. I've never added it up because I'd probably start crying. So Netflix is doing just fine, even with competitors coming out of the woodwork, because it'll seemingly always be Netflix and someone else. 18 months ago, Epic Games launched its flagship game, Fortnite, using a third-party installer. It was... tiresome to install, for sure. Well, Epic finally capitulated and released Fortnite into the Google Play Store for all to enjoy. At odds throughout the saga was Google Play's 30% surcharge on all in-app purchases, and speaking as a parent of a 13-year-old, I can attest, there are... a lot... of in-app purchases. Woof. Epic has long contended that Google is a borderline monopoly with, what, 80 to 85% worldwide market share, and charging 30% on store purchases is too much. It should also be noted that Apple also charges 30%, but it's Apple, and there's literally no other way to install the app on their phones. But Epic was willing to eat 30% from 15% of worldwide devices. Eating it from the other 85% is painful, no doubt. But don't worry, Epic. You'll be fine. But you know who won't be fine? IFA, the Internationale Funkausstellung nach Berlin, has not been cancelled, but it has been forced to take a, quote, new innovative approach this year due to the coronavirus. Now, IFA stopped just short of saying the word cancelled. In fact, IFA's website still lists event dates and times, which is just great until you also consider that Germany cancelled Oktoberfest this year due to coronavirus. And if Germany ain't drinking beer, you can bet they don't give a funk about technology. IFA will likely be a series of online presentations which will be fairly unremarkable, so that sucks, but what you gonna do? Corona's a bitch. Although you have to appreciate the irony of a beer drinking festival being cancelled by something called Corona. 
This week, Motorola launched itself back into the premium smartphone space with the Motorola Edge Plus. The Edge in question is a wraparound screen on both sides of the phone that is useful for things like extra buttons during gaming or tapping on the side to open a shortcut menu to other apps. I implicitly trust Motorola on handy phone gestures, so we'll have to see how those shake out. The phone itself has Android 10, a 6.5-inch FHD Plus OLED screen at 90Hz refresh rate. There's a 108-megapixel primary camera, a 16-megapixel ultra-wide camera, an 8-megapixel 3x optical zoom camera, and a time-of-flight sensor. There's a 5,000 mAh battery, Qualcomm 865, 12GB of RAM, and 256GB of onboard storage. This phone is a beast! Oh, and it also has a headphone jack, so suck it, everyone else. I'm in line to receive a review device, theoretically, but I'm not a big enough deal to be among the first, so while I anticipate I'll be able to review this phone for you, it'll likely take some time to go hands-on. I'll let you know when that happens. I can't buy one for myself because it's a Verizon exclusive, and God bless Motorola for being an awesome OEM, but man, they gotta shake that Verizon baggage. Also, when the Edge Plus was announced without Moto Mod compatibility, I reached out to Motorola directly to ask about the fate of Moto Mods and... Well, it's not good. Basically, the gist of Motorola's Moto Mods experience is... So long and thanks for all the fish. If you still want to buy them, you can, but that chapter of Moto is pretty much closed. You can read the full report on benefitofadoubt.com. Personally, I applaud Motorola for sticking with Moto Mods for four years after only promising three years of support. That was well done. I'll miss Moto Mods, but let's face it, it would have been hard to keep them going. So, mad props for keeping them going as long as you did. And speaking of phones we hope to review, reviews started rolling out for the iPhone SE, and overall, they're pretty great. It's a powerful little phone with a great camera, but there are questions of battery life, which, I'll be honest, is a little disappointing. But I'm excited just at the idea of having an iPhone with wireless charging. More so, I'm excited by the idea of using iOS as my phone operating system again. I'm not looking forward to notifications, nor am I looking forward to not having a goddamn number row in 2020 when I'm putting in password after password after password. Speaking of which, I'm hoping I can remember all my passwords since Google's been doing that for me for years. All the same, our full review of the iPhone SE will be coming in a few weeks, so stay tuned. And of course, one app I won't be setting up will be the default mail app in iOS because there's a brand new zero-day, zero-click exploit that just rolled out this week. Apple has since fixed the bugs, but come on, man, that's no bueno. This bug seems to have been planted by a foreign power intent on spying on senior execs, security service providers, journalists, and... Wait, journalists? <laughs> LOL, I'm kidding. I doubt I'm even on the list or the list of backups. This bug exploits vulnerabilities that have been around since iOS 6. iOS 6, people, and we're on 13 now. Holy cow. The exploit seems to have been in use since 2018 and was only recently patched by Apple. Yowza. I guess it's a good thing I've been on Android for the last four years? Anyway, no mail app for me. I'll be using Gmail and Outlook. Google has been working on self-driving capability in cars for over a decade, and recently it released footage from the very first thousand miles that autonomous cars drove by themselves, way back in 2009 before Waymo was Waymo. The footage is laughably low res, but then it is from 2009, and the footage is also 
incredibly boring, which is a very, very good thing. Nothing exciting is supposed to happen when self-driving cars self-drive, unless they're run by Uber. Anyway, if you want to take a peek at the footage, Jalopnik has the story, and it's really interesting to watch the birth of an industry until you realize that nothing exciting is going to happen, and you go back to watching cat videos. And finally, a Reddit video posted in r slash funny goes through the various faces of Zoom you have all undoubtedly seen while on Zoom calls this month. There's everyone from The Walker to The Drinker to the I Just Woke Upper. It's a fun video, so give it a watch at the link in the show notes on BenefitofADowd.com. And speaking of BenefitofADowd.com, I'm excited to tell you that we rolled out a brand new website that's not based on Tumblr because Tumblr is... Well, it's not great. The new website was built using Wix, and this podcast is not sponsored by Wix, but it should be. Wix took some figuring out, but once we got it, we were swimming along just fine and got the new site out the door. Keep an eye on BenefitOfADowd.com for new episodes, new show notes, and some written articles coming soon. Some call it living the dream, others call it ultimate freedom. Whatever you want to call it, being a digital nomad definitely has some upsides, but also some downsides as well. Nick Gray, editor-in-chief of Fandroid.com, sat down with me back at CES 2019 when he was in the midst of digital nomading, and today we sat down again to talk about the experience. So without further ado, here's Nick Gray. One of the oldest websites dedicated to Android is Fandroid, which is a fun name. I just love it. And here on my airwaves, we have the editor-in-chief of that site, Mr. Nick Gray. Nick has been writing about Android and HTC in particular for longer than I've been in this industry. HTC, huh? Ouch. His credits include Android and Me and HTC Source. Plus, like a number of colleagues, including Swan VR from a few episodes back, Nick encapsulated the idea of the digital nomad traveling about the country and the world while raising a family at the same time, which is an inconceivable feat. So today, we're going to try to conceive it and the appeal of a digital nomad lifestyle. Nick Gray, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. This has been something I've been wanting to talk to you about since running into you at CES 2019. So, like, it's been over a year. And now I have a podcast and I have full editorial control. So guess what? We're going to talk about it. <laughs> so um, it's awesome to have you on. Now, I, I should mention to our listeners that you are no longer living the digital lifestyle. You've settled down. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But first, I wanted to talk to you about like being a digital nomad, traveling around the world and or in your case, more traveling around the U.S., but, you know, finding Internet where you could and just being um, being a digital nomad. So I wanted to start off by asking, like, what are just some of your overview thoughts about the whole lifestyle? What what drew you to it? What made you want to do it? You know, stuff like that. Well, for those who don't have any background on me and what I've done over the last couple of years, it actually started internationally. I uh, quit my full-time job back in 2015 to move to Italy. I actually grew up in Italy uh, for about 14 years, then came back to the States to go to college. But my parents were still living over there. And my wife one day just said, hey, why don't we move to Italy? So that was the first step of it. Uh, and my response to her was, you know, I have no real good excuse besides I have a job as to why we shouldn't go. So we quit the job and moved to Italy. 
Uh, and doing what I do, running, uh, doing technology journalism and a YouTube channel allows you essentially to work anywhere you want. So we just packed everything up, moved to Italy, and that was the beginning of that part of the adventure. But after we were there for a year and a half, uh, unfortunately, my parents passed away in a house fire. And um, due to a couple different circumstances of we were under their visas in order to live there. And also it was just so hard to remain there uh, after that tragedy. Mm. We decided to move back to the States. And that was really when when we made that decision to come back to the States. We started looking at, you know, do we want to go back to Minnesota, which is where we had gotten married and had our kids or did we want to go somewhere else? And as we started looking at different options, we really didn't find anything that was just calling out to us. And so my wife came up this with this idea. She had always been into tiny houses and minimal lifestyles. And part okay. of that was this exploration into, hey, what if we just had a tiny house that actually moved all the time. Let's buy an RV. And we had no clue as to how big the RV community was here in the US. There we we thought we were, you know, innovative and, you know, having this great grand idea. And then we started looking into it and we go find out, hey, there's a million people in the US who are living full time in an RV. Uh, so that okay. kind of just reinforced this decision as to, hey, this is definitely feasible. We're not as crazy as it sounds. It's still crazy, but just not oh, <laughs> not over the limit. Uh, but, that, but it's million person crazy. It's a so million it's a person new, crazy. It's an okay form of crazy. And yeah, so I'm, that I'm that was that. the that was the beginning of it as far as you know the decision as to how we got started with it. You know, we were coming back to the states, and you know we we needed just to hit that reset button just from a personal well-being standpoint, uh, just because of the tragedy in our life, we just needed something completely different than what we were used to. And hit, okay. hitting the road and living living on the road, working from the road, teaching our kids from the road, and having an adventure at the same time was exactly what we needed to do to hit that reset button. That's awesome. How do you decide where to go? That's that's the big question. And we, we still get that a lot from a lot of people that are, because there's a lot of people that are still transitioning into this lifestyle. And since we did it for over a year, we get questions from a lot of people on social media. It's like, where do we go? Uh, one of the things for us that was a huge priority was we have my wife's family is down in Virginia. I have family in Minnesota and California. And then we actually have friends all over the country. And so we we started planning out where we wanted to go based off of who we wanted to see initially. And then we planned out certain holidays of, you know, we wanted to be in California for Thanksgiving. We wanted to be in um New Mexico for the balloon fiesta in the fall and a couple other things. And uh, where you ran into me at CES last year um, being in Vegas. So we, we had different things as far as what our schedule needed to look like. And then we started planning, you know, what's in this area, you know, from A to B, you know, are there things in between and which area, which direction mm -hmm. we should go? Uh, one of the things we ran into was like, you can't always plan everything out. <laughs> during the summer like we were heading out west uh, we had hit minnesota we stayed in minnesota for a month to see all of our friends uh that were there and then we started heading out west but then it was the summer wildfires 
up in the in the Rockies, oh. and so we we had plans to actually go up into Canada and go up to Banff and do all that. And but because of the wildfires, we had to cancel reservations and change where we wanted to be just because of extenuating circumstances. You can't sure. you can plan ahead, but you never know if your plans are actually going to work out. Right, of course. No plan survives first contact with the enemy, as they say. Yeah. So, okay, all right. But as far as the, like, the major things that we were looking at, I mean, if, if you open up Instagram and start searching for national parks and looking at all these amazing pictures, honestly, we did a lot of that. Like, we, we followed a lot of families that were traveling full-time like we were, and mm-hmm. we, we pinpointed, oh, I love that picture. Where is that? I want to go there. And so we, we created a map uh, we create we created our own customized Google Map with pinpoints of two of I think there was 300 different destinations across the U.S. that we had seen other people's photos or seen videos or read blogs about. Okay. And we pinpointed all these things on the map and then we started planning out, OK, we're in this area. OK, what things are around this area? Let's go here. Uh, so the technology that we use in you know day to day stuff, Google Maps to get somewhere, we use it in a different way to plan out our trip as to where we're going to go. Neat. I I actually have a similar a geocaching bookmark list called Someday, and mm-hmm. it's basically the same thing. Like I read about a geocache that sounds really cool, so I add it to my list, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to Tennessee. Let's see what's on the Someday list, and oh, I can go to. You know, Chattanooga or whatever. So, okay, that's really cool. Yep. So, we're going to go. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk more about like the day-to-day type stuff of uh, of digital nomading. So, we'll be right back. Hey there, enjoying this interview? Did you know that there's over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up in the bonus version? The full interview is available to my patrons over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like uncut interviews, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of a doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadow.com slash support. That's benefitofadow.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadow.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you support. And as always, I thank you for listening. We are back with Nick Gray, the digital nomad expert from Fandroid, and we're going to dive into the more day-to-day aspects of being a digital nomad. So if you could, Nick, why don't you kind of lay out kind of like a checklist of like things that you need when you once you decide on a location, what's your checklist for like must-haves for in order to actually go there and be a digital nomad? Well, one of the things that for me was most important was having an internet connection since I work on the web and everything that I do needs to be connected to the web. So we actually, there's, there's a handful of apps that map out which service providers have good internet connections in what areas and what speeds you can expect. And, uh, for us, because I knew we would be relying so much on the internet, we had dual coverage with Verizon and T-Mobile, uh, unlimited lines on both of those so that we could, you know, 
binge watch all the Netflix that we wanted, but also allow me to upload YouTube videos that are, you know, two to three gigabytes large at a time. Right. Uh, right. So internet connection for us was one thing. Along with that, uh, there are some things that we use to boost our internet connections. We had Wi-Fi repeaters that if we were at a campground, we could connect to the campground Wi-Fi and then rebroadcast their signal inside of our trailer because okay. RV trailers are made out of aluminum on the outside, and that's not good for allowing signals to pass through. That might be a bit of a problem, yes. Okay. We actually <laughs> had retrofitted our trailer with solar power and battery bank so that we could go Neat. Uh, pretty much indefinitely without being plugged in, having enough solar power to charge all of our electronics. Now, one of the things that stuck with me when we were talking about this um, back at CES was you were talking about how, like, you could get involved with the community and, like, a play date for your kids wouldn't necessarily be let's go to the mall. It would be more like let's go to Tucson. Mm -hmm. And so, I like, I thought that was I, – I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the community surrounding that digital nomad lifestyle. So with the advent of the Internet – the community is actually really easy to find as long as you're looking for it in the right place. We actually found uh, there is a, a group called Full-Time Families, and it's a business that's essentially built a community of full-time families that are RVing. And they have, I think, over a 1,000 members uh, that pay for membership, and we joined uh, in with them. And they actually have meetups uh, every every month now, essentially, and they call them rallies. And that's how we initially got connected into this specific community is we, we hit the road, and one month in uh, to hitting the road, we went to one of these meetups, one of these rallies, and there was uh, close to 65 families that were doing the same exact thing that we were doing all descended on one campground, essentially took over the entire campground for an entire week. It was like camp for kids, but for the entire family. But once that's done, you, you know, you make, you add, you know, 50 new Facebook friends within a week and then everyone's leaving and you ask, which direction are you going? Hey, can we tag along? And so, right. you know, you leave and you maybe camp the next two campgrounds in a row with another family or you find out that, hey, in a month and a half, we have reservations with this other family at, at the same time at another campground two states over. And then from there, you start, you know, just making plans of, hey, we're going to be out west in July. Which campgrounds are you going to go to? Let's let's go to that one. And so we've right. we've made some incredible friends on the road that, you know, we we met at one rally. We met up with them two months later and, you know, camped with them for two weeks. And then, you know, seven months later, we found them again by accident. We had no clue that they were going to be in the area, but we saw on social media they were in, in the same town. We weren't at the same campground. Uh, oh, and, fun. and for those who don't know, I've we've settled down. We're no longer traveling. But my... So you traveled... Coast to coast, I'm guessing, north to south, Minnesota to Florida, New York to California, that, that Yeah, so we were we ended up in Virginia to start out because that's where my in-laws were. That's where we did the renovations for the trailer. And then as soon as we hit the mm -hmm. road, we went straight to Florida because it was February and it was cold right. everywhere else. Uh, so we were around Florida for a little bit and then we made our way up to the East Coast uh, made it to New York, crossed over into Canada, did Toronto for a little bit, crossed back over around the Chicago area, saw family, went to Minnesota, 
Uh, and then from Minnesota, we headed out west to Yellowstone, all the national parks. Then down to Arizona, we did the balloon fiesta, and then California for Thanksgiving, then California through Christmas, uh, ended up in San Diego, and then over to Nevada to CES for Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. uh, and then Texas a little bit. It was still kind of cold in Texas, but then we essentially finished up our loop back in Florida. Exact, actually, the, the same city, the city of Destin, Florida, one year to the date. We essentially finished our loop, and then we hung around Florida for the next three months uh, at a variety of different campgrounds, made it down to the Keys, and the Keys was actually our last big stay um, in before before heading back up and that's when we started house hunting we headed back to virginia where our in-laws were when we started house hunting mm -hmm. so i mean that sounds amazing so now my my next question has to be how do you travel the country and then end up in cleveland oh that's the question everybody asks <laughs> now when we i can't imagine why it's cleveland it's cleveland <laughs> no and so we Honestly, like we had the opportunity to see this entire country. We we visited a lot of the major cities in, in the States. Um, a lot of them, every time we went there, we're like, is this the city? And we were, we were constantly looking as to what does the community look like? What does the cost of living look like? You know, if we want to buy a house, how much does a house cost? And there were a lot of factors that were built in. And, you know, even my job, you know, even though I work online, you know, reviewing smartphones, you either have to travel to San Francisco or New York City a lot throughout the year, just because that's where a lot of the events are. And right. so we, we looked at a lot of different factors and we happened upon Cleveland and just by accident, I, I have an unhealthy addiction to Google Maps. I, I love looking huh. at satellite view. I love looking at cities and, you know, just looking at, you know, the design of the city, the the downtown core and things like that. And one day I just happened upon Cleveland. And honestly, I think, so Cleveland has a bad rap, but most people who think <laughs> Cleveland has a bad rap don't really know anything about Cleveland besides it has a bad rap. And so I, I honestly, and LeBron James, and LeBron James, I honestly knew nothing about Cleveland. You know, I've driven through once or twice on my way to somewhere else, and that's the extent of what I knew about it. And so I just, you know, on Google Maps started zooming in, looking at neighborhoods and stuff like that, and I was like, okay, well, what's the cost of living in Cleveland? And yeah. I open up Zillow on on my smartphone and. That, this podcast that, not sponsored by Zillow. This podcast not sponsored by Zillow. But oh my gosh, as soon as we opened up Zillow and started seeing some of the houses that you could buy under two hundred thousand dollars, I was like, we need to research this area a lot more. Neat, and it's the home. It's the home of the Christmas Story house. So I mean, you really can't complain. It sure beyond is beyond that. So and I that's didn't fun. know that before I came here. <laughs> but that's our major major tourist attraction. Well, that and LeBron James. Well, he's so. gone now, so, you know. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't follow football. Me either, So, right? anyway, what about the psychological aspect of digital nomadity? Is, like, how do you get over, like, the loneliness or the psychological, you know, isolation of traveling around by yourself all the time? Well, as somebody who works from home... Most of my friends were already on the internet and 
my wife <laughs> is a she's a recluse. She loves her her perfect time is staying at home, not going out somewhere, staying at home in an empty house. Huh. All right. So for from our perspective, hitting the road and being in a travel trailer, not around friends or family was kind of that perfect mix of exactly what we need in our personal space and personal lives. It definitely cannot work for a lot of people. Like if you have a you know, a group of friends that you socialize with on a regular basis. You know, if you guys are going out to dinners a couple times a month or, you know, you have people over to your house for board game night or something like that. And these are friends that you've lived with your entire life and they're a part of your family, essentially. You will miss that. There's no getting around that. But um, coming back to the community that you make on the road, I think, honestly, those are some of the best friends that we've made in a very long time. And it comes down to, you know, your time with them is short. You're only going to have, you know, you know, if even if you just happen to meet somebody at a campground that's living full time in an RV, just like you are, you're maybe going to be at that campground for three to four days together. And so you spend those three to four days having real conversations, not, you know, conversations about work or, you know, the things that don't matter. And, you know, politics gets thrown out the window completely because honestly, it doesn't matter when you're just trying to find community. But we get caught up on so many things with our friends that we do have that we actually miss real conversations with them talking about life itself rather than the circumstances of life that we just deal with on a day-to-day basis. Hmm. Well... This has been a real conversation with Nick Gray, editor-in-chief of Fandroid. Nick, do me a favor. Tell our audience where people can find you on the interwebs. All over the interwebs. Uh, if You can find me personally uh, at Nick M. Gray, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but if you want to take a look at our travel stuff, we have a YouTube channel called The Gray Adventures also on Instagram at The Gray Adventures. Uh, we still update both of those. Uh, we we essentially were doing one video a week as we were traveling, just documenting our journey. Uh, we did a couple Q&A videos uh, that were questions from people that had no clue about the lifestyle that performed really well. And then we also documented our expenses, which I think a lot of people overlook. Uh, we we mm. we kept track of every single penny that we spent while on the road, and we had quarterly budget update videos that we did. You know, just tracking you know where we went, how much we spent on campgrounds, how much we spent on food, gas, and stuff like that. So, if you're interested in that lifestyle, I hope you check out those resources. Awesome, awesome, Nick. Once again, thank you for taking the time to come on, and I'm glad that we, you and I, were able to have a real conversation about being a digital nomad. And uh, yeah, so once again, thanks for coming on, and we really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Thanks very much to Nick Ray of Fandroid for coming on and chatting about the life of a digital nomad. Thanks to all of you for listening, and I know I'm harping, but thanks in advance for leaving a review. But most of all, I thank you for giving me the benefit of the doubt.